1: For the police department to to target an industry because there is a small number in that industry that did something violent, I think that that was a cause for alarm and I believe that some form of civil action should follow how the police department is reacting to it. These guys are not your normal citizens.
0: They're carrying
1: illegal guns, they're not registering their guns, they need false IDs because that's how they travel. There is a such thing as hip-hop police. Man. They run around taping and targeting people, but they ain't got no murders on tape. Hip-hop cops, I think them niggas always been there. You know what I mean? There ain't nothing new. You don't fuck with the hip-hop police, man. They fuck with me, they follow me around, man. They got the hip-hop police out there, and they watching, and they be at the clubs. I see them, man. I be in the clubs.
0: You show, show a book like this, a documented information about people in the hip-hop community who have been followed, their rights have been violated. There's no justification, they can't even begin to say that these people were engaged in illegal activity. We we suspect it, and that's the change
1: in the recent laws. You find out their lifestyle, you find out where they go, when they sleep, when they're up, who they party with, who they rock and roll with, who they talk to. Where I come from, a killer might be my best friend. Where I come from, a stick-up kid might be the cat who takes my son across the street to school. They use that. As a pretext to get involved Oh you're associating with a known felon Shit he's my cousin I remember the first time I came to Jimmy Asking him to manage me It was like a dream come true When he said yes He he immediately Put a team around me Walked me into Hollywood And introduced me As his new client When I was broke He gave me money, took care of me he also helped me in my time of trouble, with my addiction. I'll never forget him for it.
0: Previously on Unjust Justice. What's going on in this game that these street
2: players, the rappers are singing about them. They're attaching themselves to them. And um, there's something here, there's like a conspiracy here. And it might just be a um, them paying homage to the, to the street heroes, but it might be a little bit more. So. Um, I just found it interesting, and I found out there was this you know, subculture um, that came about, and um, there was a lot of violence attached to the rap
0: game. Hip-hop music and the artists and executives that populated it were all targets of law enforcement as the musical genre increased in popularity in the early 2000s. Jimmy Rosemont wasn't alone in this. Around this time is when the NYPD under New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani and famed police chief Bill Bratton created the Rap Intelligence Unit, or the Hip-Hop Cops as they were called. Undercover detectives were tracking movements of the artists and everyone affiliated with them. So Jimmy's microscope under law enforcement was no different. His friends, enemies, and colleagues were all being tracked and cataloged into law enforcement databases. In this period of time, Jimmy was technically on the run from Warren to New York and North Carolina. Hiding out in Los Angeles, where he could still operate in the business, was the obvious choice.
2: So it's February 1996, 31 years old at that point. I just remember after, you know, Goof Theory's on tour, I think I stayed out in L.A. for a little while. They were traveling, like, to San Francisco now. And I go into the hotel. This is a hotel that I used to stay all the time, the Montrose. It's on a side street in, in um, Hollywood. And uh, when I go into the hotel, I notice that the front desk guy is different. Like, and he's looking at me. It's a little boutique hotel. I go up to the third floor, second floor I was at, and um, my keys would not open up. And so I go back downstairs and I go to this stranger, man. But I, I stay there all the time. I know all of the workers there. And I'm like, Hey, for some reason, my key won't, won't open up my door. And he says, Oh, well, you have ID? And I said, I show him my ID. I was going under the name of Samuel Fogel at the time. He went in the back with my ID. He comes back out. He gives me the key. I go upstairs. I'm jet lagged. I'm tired like crazy. I hear walkie-talkies when I'm walking past one of the rooms. But it's not triggering to me, like... What's going on? And I go into my room, and I notice that all of the shades are pulled back. I'm like, ah, something don't feel right. I take the gun out. I put it on my night table. I'm getting ready for bed. And I'm looking under the door in the hallway, and I'm seeing a lot of shadows. And um, when I look through the peephole, I don't see anything. So I crack the door a little bit. And it's SWATs ready to kick in the door, and they got their machine guns out, and they tell me to, to get on my knees and don't move, and X Y Z. So I, I get arrested for the warrants that I have um, in North Carolina. I have a warrant in New York for a firearm, and I have yeah, and then I get arrested with a firearm. In the hotel
0: room. Jimmy had been on the run for five years. In that day in Los Angeles, police had been tipped off about who he was and his whereabouts.
3: They said that an uh, informant had told them that I was in the hotel. My belief is that informant was Jack, who gave me
0: up. Authorities sent Jimmy to North Carolina to face drug conspiracy charges he had been eluding since 1991. He was sentenced to 16 months in North Carolina and an additional two years in Rikers Island for the 1993 gun possession charge that he fled from while out on bail. While
2: I'm in North Carolina, I call Shaquem, and Shaquem tells me Biggie's been killed. First of all, I, I, Tupac dies while I'm in North Carolina. And then Biggie dies.
0: For the second time in six months, a star in the often brutal world of gangster rap has been gunned down. This time it was Notorious B.I.G. ABC's Anderson Cooper has the story.
1: The rapper known as Biggie Smalls was shot several times as he sat in his Chevy Suburban early this morning outside the Peterson Automotive Museum in Los Angeles. Smalls had been attending a party honoring winners of the Soul Train Music Awards, at which he made an appearance Friday night. What's up, Charlie? After the shooting, Smalls was taken to Cedar sinai Medical Center, where he was pronounced dead. It appears as, uh, as he was the intended target of this attack, and he was the only person who was shot.
4: Though no arrests have been made, music industry sources on the West Coast suspect that Smalls' death may in some way be payback for the September killing of rap star Tupac Shakur.
2: I get the news. I feel so bad about the death of these guys, man. Because I knew that, I knew why Pac died. I, I understood that part of it because of what happened at the casino. But the biggie, that really touched me, and that hurt me, man. That hurted me to the point I just can remember shedding some tears after I got off the phone with Shaquille. Cause I think I had heard about it and I called to make sure. I said, Yo, you in LA? And he was like, Yeah, man. This car which from a federal prison. I just came from the hospital, man. Dude is gone, man. And I just was in shock, man. You know, Biggie was a friend of mine. He was a good guy, man. Like, it, it just saddened me to see where that beef was at before I left, and to see that he ended up becoming the fatality out of that, I, that, that
0: really hurt me. After being transferred to Rikers, Jimmy faced a proverbial fork in the road. If he was just a gangster, merely pretending to be in the music industry, these circumstances would have been the end of his career.
2: People in the industry is asking me to call them and they're like, hey man, I have a problem. You know, so-and-so, I'm trying to do a deal with them. Can you help me with that? And I'm like, yo, I'm in jail. People started coming to visit me, like just telling me they problems. Most of the people that they were having problems with was guys who was phone calls away from me. So I would make the call, I would fix a situation, and I just became that go-to guy that people would come to. I had deals with Universal and Def Jam, they were giving me production bills. I was making money while I was in jail. It was amazing to me.
0: While in prison, Jimmy was able to maintain his professional relationships. And in 1999, former heavyweight boxing champion Mike Tyson spent $200,000 on a lawyer who helped get Jimmy released from Rikers Island.
2: This is where the fork in the road comes into my life. I remember my lawyer looking at me and saying, Jimmy, you have a new lease on life.
0: Although not completely rid of his legal problems, Jimmy started working with Barry Hankerson, the founder of Blackground Records and the uncle of pop star aaliyah
2: i'm working for barry Hankerson, and barry looks at me and says i got two weeks to finish romeo must die soundtrack can you help me with this i call in all my favors to jay-z destiny child memphis bleak beanie Siegel. we do the album in two weeks try again is aaliyah's first single off of it and out the gate of me coming home i got a platinum soundtrack <laughs> two three months later barry says i'm doing exit wound you think you could do the same thing again for me i said no problem barry and there's no stopping I was doing deals left and right. I was on the payroll of about four or five different record companies. I had T&E, travel and expense, with two or three different companies. I was rolling.
0: In this next series of clips, you will hear interview subjects Wendy Day, a recording industry consultant and founder of the Rap Coalition, Combat Jack, the godfather of hip-hop podcasting, and acclaimed actor, Michael K. Williams.
4: With Henchman Entertainment, Jimmy was finding the talent and then going and doing deals with different labels so that you could have different artists at different companies.
1: In the 90s, the industry was just busy snatching talent and gambling on any artist here or there if they had a spark. So there was money everywhere.
4: The average production company was a 50-50 split. If the artist made a million dollars, the production company would make $500,000.
2: Some guys, even today in the streets, can't believe if they knew me from when I was a kid. We know you. How are you able to do this? That was almost impossible for guys to understand. Listen, I was terrible as a kid, hands down. All I ever did was channel all of that messed up negative energy that I had.
1: I admired him, I looked up to him as someone from the streets of my neighborhood who had made a name for themselves in entertainment, which I was aspiring to be successful in. I pounded on everybody's door. That It was like, if you knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy who knew, guy who knew Jimmy, I'd knock on your door and ask you, can you please get this note and ask him to set a meeting up so I could beg him to be my manager.
0: Here is super producer Ron Lawrence on his career and Jimmy.
2: I would definitely say that Jimmy was instrumental in helping me get my foot off the ground. kind of took me under his wing. It just took me to the meetings and stuff. And he was working on Sugar, originally known as Sweet Tea. My song has a second single, and it was called What's Up, Star. Placing that song on that soundtrack was a big deal for me because I hadn't reached that stature at the time. Jimmy was cool. He, he was a man of his word. When he said he was going to do something, he would do it.
4: I think Jimmy had a great reputation with his peers. Everybody that I know that encountered him loved him. Jimmy was known to be a man about his business, about his money. He had great relationships, and he understood the music business, and he did some great deals. You had a bunch
2: of street guys who was trying to follow my formula, but really couldn't. Because everybody who I was involved with before 96 when I got arrested is in position now. Chris Lighty is a big manager, Steve Stout is a big executive, Sha Kim is a big manager slash executive, Kedar Mansenberg is the president of Motown. I was connected more than I even knew I was.
0: Jimmy had a string of successes and hits. He would deliver talent that the record companies could propel to be major R&B, soul, pop, rap acts. By 2001, Jimmy had several commercial hits and multiple production deals with a variety of different labels, including the world-famous Motown Records. He had become known for his deal-making and his ability to negotiate, a skill that would help him permeate all facets of the entertainment industry.
2: I feel to Mike Tyson, with my life. So when I come home, Mike is almost destitute. Don King, who had all of the belts at the time, wouldn't give Mike a title shot. I seized on the opportunity when Rockman knocks out Lennox Lewis.
0: Oh, he's got him! He's got him! He got King
1: and he's got him!
3: is Oliver
1: McCall all over again? It is, and Lewis has gone! Lewis has gone! It's another upset of immense proportions.
2: I call Barry Hinkerson who calls Farrakhan. We call in Henry Herbert Muhammad, who used to manage Muhammad Ali. We find out where Lennox is at, and all of us approach Lennox Lewis at the Trump International Hotel in Columbus Circle and tell him he's got to do the fight with Mike.
0: The Mike Tyson versus Lennox Lewis fight brought in $110 million in revenue which still stands as one of the highest grossing pay-per-view events in history.
3: He grossed over 30 million on that fight. Knowing his financial state at the time, I only took a million and a half enough that I repaid Mike for what he did for me when he really didn't have to do it. I made more money consulting record companies and doing side deals for different artists. Akon, Wycliffe, Rick Ross, They would say, I want you to go and renegotiate my deal for me. Once the record company would see that I was hired to come in to renegotiate, they knew that it was going to
0: be expensive. Here again is Michael K. Williams.
1: There was something attractive about his confidence and his swagger, the way he went after things. You felt like no one was going to take advantage of
0: you.
3: People used to think I would go in there with the gangster stuff, but no, I would just go in there with a
0: high-powered lawyer. Despite Jimmy's continual success, he can never fully shake the shadows of his past. Kim Osario, the former editor-in-chief of The Source magazine, weighs in again on Jimmy's reputation.
2: There
1: was this fear of Jimmy because of this reputation that he had from being someone who dealt in the streets and handled things.
4: Executives would get nervous. They didn't know if he was more of like a Suge Knight type personality.
1: What he's known for in the streets, I think it has definitely uh, hindered his progression as a businessman. I should have
2: been able to manage a Lady Gaga or a Britney Spears or Mariah Carey. But the only people I could pick up because of my reputation was the people down on their luck. You got guys like Gucci Mane who nobody would touch. The guy comes to my hotel room begging me. What do I do? I go sign Gucci Mane to Warner Brothers. I put Gucci on Mariah Carey and every other mainstream artist. I took this dude from nothing to something and they still don't acknowledge my talent in the game.
0: Despite the industry's resistance, Jimmy persisted to carve out his niche. In 2005, he encountered The Game, a relatively unknown hip hop artist from Compton They hit it off, and the game signed with him as his manager. This will become his most lucrative management deal to date. Within a year, the game's first album, the documentary, goes platinum, and has since sold over 5 million copies worldwide. In 2005, the game was nominated for BET's Best New Artist Award, and Billboard's Rap Artist of the Year, Jimmy, at his very own superstar.
2: Game gave me an opportunity to prove that I was able to handle a a superstar. And then you gotta remember, I was around superstar executives, Jimmy Iovine, Dr. Dre. I was around superstar executives. And with the whole history that I got, believe you me i had to prove myself to get the respect that these guys had for me when they seen what kind of work did i do for my artists they 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 tip they had to me like wow we didn't even know you was this talented
0: here is audio from an interview by DJ Vlad talking to the game
1: how did the two of you initially come together in the whole management thing, because that really surprised a lot of people, Yeah. you know, when you chose Jimmy Hutchman as your manager, yeah. uh, and stayed with him the whole time. I met Jimmy, and I made my own. I met Jimmy, and we chopped it up, and we kicked it a couple times, and I, I made my own, um, you know, analysis about the man that he was, and I felt like he was a real nigga, and that proved to be true over the years, because, um, you know, we rode, and we made a lot of money, and, um you know, I, I wouldn't be here without, you know, without him, and neither, you know, him without me.
4: My attorney, Jay Quattrini was also Jimmy's business attorney. And I remember when Jay went to pitch him to some executives to run the urban music department, that their concern was his background and his reputation. And it was always very funny to us because we don't see that side of Jimmy. Like, Jimmy is really calm and mild-mannered. He's not arrogant. He's not anything that, that you would think that he would be if you just listened to the press
2: found myself doing was always proving myself over and over again and I couldn't understand why because I'm like I had more hit records than a lot of these guys in the business and they're being embraced and given opportunities. Those executives wasn't going into Compton to find games. Them executives wasn't going to Detroit to get Mario Wine and Them executives wasn't going and talking to T.I. when they had a problem with them. And yeah, it took guys like me who understood the environment and the communities that they make all of the money from. But what I didn't know was that they vilify me after they asked me to be that guy who could straddle that fence and deal with the people they don't want to deal with.
0: Here is Imam Rashid, the spiritual leader of the Mosque of Islamic Brotherhood, located in Harlem, New York, the mosque that Jimmy attended. I think I've known Jimmy about 18 years now. And
1: as he has matured, he's always been in a real life and death struggle with Jimmy Hinchman. And I remember uh, him saying to me that he really regretted that he ever invented that guy.
2: I had to put out a press release stating, that is not my name, do not call me that anymore. I didn't like the connotations that came with it. It was hindering me from becoming who I wanted to become.
3: My dream had always been to be corporate, to have a travel and expense account, to be on the board of something, instead of just a consultant.
0: And in 2007, Jimmy was finally given a shot at his dream. His success had put him on the shortlist to be the next vice president of Virgin Records, the urban music department.
2: A guy like me who comes from the projects of Brooklyn is being offered to run the rap department of Virgin Records. But the first thing when I go in for the meeting for the job, the exec look at me and say, this Jimmy Henchman name, oh my God, said it's a big landing. I'm in the building, there. It's, it's whispers all over the place.
0: Ultimately, Jimmy was not hired for that position. The then Virgin Records exec told him it was because of his reputation and that he had never seen so many people hate and fear a man so much.
3: And that made me just realize that I wasn't part of the good old boys club. I just knew where I stood at that point. Yeah, I was very disappointed, but I, I knew I had to keep working, keep doing what I do. That made me money and made me successful in my own
0: terms. Discouraged by being passed over by Virgin Records, Jimmy brought in his business model and started producing television shows and films. He produced the original 50 Cent documentary, the national syndicated poker series Hip Hop Hold'em, and the movies Belly 2, and the cookout, too.
3: After I saw the success of Belly 2, and I saw that we only spent 700000 however, it grossed over eight billion at the time, I knew that that was the route that I really wanted to take.
2: America is based off of the rags the riches. I would say, look, I came from the worst of the worst. I was very ignorant. You know, listen, I I did some terrible things when I was a kid. I don't even like to talk about those kind of things. I'm not even proud of those kind of things. But I admire the accomplishments I've made because I was an astute student to the mentors that, 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 that had me. And I learned. If, if Listen, if they didn't hold against me that I had a felony as an adolescent, I could have went into any field and did the same thing I did with the music business. However, my options are very few because the music business is the only field, at least for me, that I ran into where I'm not prejudiced because of my felony. I'm not prejudiced for them it's based off of the work that I can deliver the hits I can deliver so my story would be a a rags to riches again a guy who drops out of 10th grade who climbs gets his way out of the ghetto away from his friends and climbs the corporate ladder to the point of success what my story would be without hip hop, but because of the excitement and the, the 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 Hollywoodness of this the music business, my image became way bigger. And look, the things that I've done, I've done it very easily. And this is why so much people not only feared me, they hated me. But why are you hating me? Because I have more hard and more. I'm more brave than you or maybe it's foolish bravery maybe it's foolish bravery but I know for a fact the things and the places that I've been and the places I've went to go get the money half of these guys in the music business I probably would say 90% 90% of them wouldn't do and so y'all mad at me that I'm willing to take on a Mike Tyson when he's down and out in a, 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 a drug addict. And they're saying he, he he can't come back. And I take him and I take him and go fight uh, uh, Lennox Lewis. Y'all mad at me for that? Why? Y'all didn't want him. And what I, found, what I found myself doing was always proving myself over and over again. Because what I did for Mike Tyson, and what I've done for Game, and what I've done for Mario Winans, and Brandy, and whoever else that was... Because the only people I could pick up because of my, my reputation was the people down on their luck. I had to reinvent them. The Gucci yeah. Mains and everybody else.
0: It was during this time that Jimmy got on the radar of L.A. Times reporter Chuck Phillips, an assistant U.S. attorney... Todd Kaminsky. His fortunes were about to change dramatically.
2: You take a situation where I had to always prove myself. Nothing was given to me. That's all I know. All I know out of life is going to get it. And a lot of these guys didn't want to do it. They wanted to sit back on the sunset at the Beverly Hills Hotel or at the at the Paramount in New York or, or wherever, and, and they wanted to—they wanted the acts to come to them. And this is the thing that when the police is investigating me and the prosecutor, Todd Kaminsky and them is investigating me, and they see if I'm in Chicago and I'm meeting with, with some vice lords or some GDs, they're thinking I'm going over there to talk to them like I'm some gang leader. But if the GDs feel comfortable talking to me about an act they got, and if I'm in that vicinity and I go and I go to a neighborhood that is gang infiltrated, what is wrong that I go in the neighborhood to the people that I know and talk to them about, hey, you got an act? Let me hear them come to the studio or let's go to the studio. And this was the problem. This wasn't only because I was doing that in Chicago and in Detroit. I was doing that in Miami. I was doing that in California. I was doing it in the Bay Area. And they were looking at me like, "Yo, oh, this guy is way too strong.
0: On the next, Unjust Justice.
2: Somehow, Chuck Phillips got my, um, my email, and he emailed me and asked me, could he interview me? And I told him that, um, I, told him that I wasn't, because I already knew what he was trying to do. And I told him I wasn't. I didn't want to talk to him. And um, I told him if he wrote anything that was out of order, that we we'd be suing him.